Welcome to Required Reading. This week, we're talking about Arthur Miller's Death of a Salesman, um, a nice uplifting tale of the American... I can't even finish that. Um, I'm your host, Nick Hoffman, and on panel we have... Mike Burns. And we are joined this time by uh, Principal Marist and English teacher... Kevin Blanton. Welcome, Kevin. Yeah, welcome. Thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah, so... I feel like this has been years in the making we've been talking about this. Feels that way, yes. So we're finally glad to get you here. Yeah, and we had talked about doing a play, uh, which this will be our second this season, but plays are always a little tricky to get into. So um, first question is always, how did you get into this? Why did you want to yeah. talk about this one? This was the one. I, you know, I remember reading it in my junior year, studying American literature, and uh, immediately found myself taken by the character of Willie, and especially just that family dynamic that unfolds before us and you know just sort of reflecting on the subtitle about this being a play of private conversations and just feeling like the doors to the walls of every house in America has been open to us and we're seeing unfolding before us what is kind of the, the, the common story of the American family struggling through a certain era with its own identity and I saw immediately in the character of Willie uh, reflections of my own father, I think, um, and, and found myself just compellingly interested in his outcome. What would come of him? What would happen? What would his choices kind of produce in his life and in the life of his family? I mean, not to turn this into a therapy session, but <laughs> I mean, I'm father, not paying you for it. Was <laughs> your father a salesman, or can I ask what you saw in in your father? Yeah. So he, yeah, he worked for the same company for you know three decades, and um, and was with them for a long time, and he was moved around from place to place, and he did do sales for them. So a company um, man. A company man, yeah. and you know, I saw um, interestingly that was true when when I read it, but it wasn't until later that. Uh, that uh, he was no longer working for them. You know, wow. they, they gave him a choice. You can either move again or, you know, that's where the company's going. You'll either be with us or you won't. Right. And, and he made the hard right choice, I'll say, to keep his family where they were. And I don't think at the time even, this was at the end of my high school career and beginning of college, that I realized just how difficult of a decision it would be for him to truly become unemployed and to make that choice, to, right. to mm-hmm. not have it. And then... Um, you know, I'd see the saving grace in, in his story and probably therefore in my story is, you know, I, I saw a different outcome than Willie's was, thankfully. That is, I saw my dad build himself back up. I saw him respond to that in a way um, that showed a certain amount of metal and strength in him and his character that impressed me. And to this day, I'm you know appreciative to have had the chance to learn how you do that in life. Um, Especially when Willie might have taught me a different lesson. Um, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then so also you taught it as well, right? So I did, yeah. I taught it for uh, about three years um, and was interested to see, you know, teaching a book is so different than, than reading it, sure either is. as a student or as an adult, and to just see where the students gravitate. And I was surprised that they gravitated so much to, and maybe I shouldn't have been, but to Biff and Happy. Um, I think they saw mirrors of themselves there um, and certainly potential pitfalls for living a certain type of, of life or or holding up as your dream a certain kind of dream um, you know from from a young person's mindset especially you know those who 
uh, go to schools like ours that are competitive, um, that have a certain lifestyle maybe in mind, and that um, often enjoy whatever pursuit it is, and athletics is certainly one of them, um, achieving a certain level of success at it. And so I think that that tension just becomes kind of raw and real to kids uh, when, when we go through the book. Yeah, that, on, on how you define success and how that shifts over time. Yeah, absolutely. So well, no, when you retaught it as a teacher, I'm sorry, go ahead, Nick. No, I'm just curious why this play, and I mean, I obviously like this play, and I've, I've talked about it on other shows even, like, this is great, but a, a lot of the teachers I talk to, when they teach Arthur Miller, they teach, you know, The Crucible. Mm -hmm. And so is there a particular reason why the English department chose to do Death of a Salesman over the over the Crucible or something like that? That's a good question. I mean, since I've been here, this is my 23rd year, um, and we taught... So you're just, a company man then, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I am, exactly. <laughs> With my boss here, yes. We um, want to thank you for your service. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad to serve. But um, I just inherited it as far as like the curriculum goes. But maybe three years ago, we dropped it. I was looking at my notes and past lesson plans. Largely because the other teachers, not me, I'm not going to throw anyone on the bus, but everyone was just tired of Willie. And it's so depressing. It's, <laughs> it's so very depressing. Yeah. So we used to do this and Glass Menagerie in the spring, like back to back. <laughs> oh, I remember that. Just like ready to slit your wrists. Yeah. Um, and particularly as you, I mean, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, but as I got older and you just sort of see like, you know, where you're going and just sort of like, is my life matter? Does what, what mark am I leaving? Mm -hmm. Those sort of existential midlife questions, uh, crisis questions, it got harder to teach. And so, and then to your point about the kids relating to Biff and Happy a little bit, but I think it's such a hard play and I love it. I would still keep teaching it, but on the page, it can be very confusing because mm. Willie is losing his mind. And so you're literally from one sentence to the next, you're jumping in time as he's going back to his past. And so it was, it took some effort and coaching uh, to get them there. Some yeah. kids loved it and others are just like frustrated with mm. both the form of it and just like, who are these old people kind of, kind of things. So yeah. I, I will admit when I, I read this, of course here, <laughs> I still have my annotated copy. Um, it, but it was incredibly confusing until I saw, I think it's an 88 production with Dustin Hoffman right. and John Malkovich, and, right. which is in, uh, Charles Durning, I think, mm -hmm. um, because they do a very good job. And it's, it's staged like the play, um, but it's incredibly sad. Um, I think, and we got when we were talking about it in class, the discussion eventually came up, is there a happy version of Willie Loman's life? Um, and... What we came away with, and something we talk about, is that he's a man obsessed with lying about himself, um, and that's kind of the, the the third act turn or second act turn right at the end, which is truly one of the most awkward scenes, tragic scenes in American uh, literature. Um, but we've talked about Willie enough. Can either of you, one, someone, describe who Willie Lowman is? I'll leave it to you, Kevin. Well, uh, no, I think, you know, Willie, to me, is, um, I don't know if it's interesting, you know, I, I wondered for a while, you get to the end of the play, and yes, you, you, you sort of, you're, we're all a little sick of Willie, I think, by that point, and, you know, you might be easily categorize him, and I think my students probably did, you know, use the word loser, and you would want to reframe that, I want to reframe that, he's not a loser, he's just lost, yeah. um, and he's lost in you know, his vision of himself from when I think he was a younger man. Um, and I think that's part of the, the, the 
the struggle he experiences in one of the main conflicts in the book to me, and now that I'm a father, I can say there's this eternal question before uh, us, which is, what do I teach my children? Um, and how do I teach my children? And I think, to me, he's, uh, he's trying to be the father that, that he thinks he should be. Um, but even then, he realizes that the message he's sending to his children is the wrong one. And I think that's this back and forth, that's this sort of, you know, madness that he is slipping into, is this bifurcation of the man he, he wants to be or he thinks he should be to his children versus the one who probably actually is best for them. Same is true in his relationship, I felt like, with, with Linda um, and the life he's trying to build with her. The same is true of his house and where he built it. The same is true of the work he's doing and why he's doing it. Um, and, you know, this generational question, I think, is, is front and center in my mind when I think about Willie Loman. You know, he's, uh, he's a man from a different era, um, and the era has outgrown him, has gone beyond him. Um, and so in that way, he's kind of lost in time as well. Um, and you see that, you know, with... You know, his, his previous boss, Howard, having kind of retired and now the son steps in, um, you know, his era is passing. Um, and the time of, of that sort of human is passing in that regard, too, with the modernization of everything. That moment with the record player is a mm -hmm. fascinating one, is yeah. you see sort of past and future encountering each other. And again, this child, a child's voice being on there, and what is this father, what is this other father telling his child, and what are the other dads doing, too, I think is an interesting question. Well, and something I, I didn't really think about until I was, you know, preparing for the episode, looking up the play and stuff, it appears in 1949. Can you think of anything else written in the late 40s, early 50s that doesn't represent World War II at all? You know, like, had Willie been a little bit younger, he could have been a soldier and that could have earned him some acclaim or if he was a little older his kids could have been soldiers but instead he's the lost generation and they're kind of proto-boomers and so the important part of the world has passed him by and that's mm -hmm. that's the kind of theme like you know you could look at the other end the more optimistic play of three years later four years later the music man where he is a con man but everyone's in favor of these salespeople. now not willie the world has left him behind. Yeah, it's interesting too reading about uh, reading the introduction or, or reflection that Miller wrote at one point, how the play has been viewed. And so, like some people view him as a communist. I mean, he, he was called before the um, uh, committee MacArthur. on American activities. Yeah, uh, and he didn't he didn't um, rat out people that were there. But also, he said, like, I was paid to go to salesman conventions, and they were like, as like this rah rah, like, you really know what our life is like. And so it, it's sort of both pro and con business. Um, but yeah, the planned obsolescence of all the, the things that break down, um, whether it's the, the washing machine or the, the, the cars car. themselves, mm -hmm. and, and so, or Willie himself, ultimately, and like in this consumer capitalism, uh, you always want the newest, latest model, and Willie is an outdated model in that way, and that's hard. Linda has that great, great quote about um, uh, he's a man, or, and Willie says something about it, not a piece of fruit to be thrown away. Yeah, that's what he's talking to his boss. Eat the fruit and throw the peel away. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. And, and you take that, I mean, going back to the material side of it there, you know, I think it's of the refrigerator they're talking about yeah. and, mm -hmm. and she was like you know it's not working we need to get it repaired and he says well i bought the one with the biggest ads, ads paper. right yeah and you go oh wow you know and just this question of 
the reliability of a thing and the expectation that comes when buying into what should be the best thing, you know, and feeling like you've made, I've, we've tried to make all the right choices in our life, and, and what does it get us? Uh, what do we have to pass on, you know? And then that sad moment uh, when, when Linda's standing at his graveside and yeah. points out that the house is theirs, you know? Finally. Uh, yeah, and that free and clear, free and clear, you know, just sort of haunting. Uh, what are we free of? And, you know, what can we be clear of in life when when uh, we're sort of driven by by the material um, as well? It's so cripplingly sad. I mean, the spoiler: we end with his funeral. Oh, should uh, I I mean, it's in the title, but like, There's I mean, no surprise there. Like at the end, like everyone's saying, like we don't even know who we're supposed to be. We don't know who we are. Biff and Happy are getting into it, and Charlie's the one who says. You don't understand. He's a, he's a salesman. He's all smiles and handshakes, and when they stop smiling back, mm. that's it. Right. Uh, a salesman has to dream, but he ha and then his son has he had all the wrong dreams like that. That that I've, I've remembered <laughs> that mm -hmm. sticks with you. But contrasted with happy uh, or not? Yeah, happy who um, is like oh, I'm going to go out there and win it, and you're just like, have you not been paying attention? <laughs> and so it's just the cycle is repeating all over. I'm going to go out there and win it for the Lomans. It's it's, it's funny. Um, it's funny because we're all teachers, and we've had that kid who misinterpreted something completely. He'd be the one who writes a great final paper, but he didn't understand the book at all. Right. But, I mean, but that's the American optimism. That's that's why yeah. it's so great because it's it, maybe happy will pull it off. Maybe he'll learn from his father's mistakes. Um, well, yeah, and at what point? It, what cost do you not want to have that optimism, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. When, when is the right time to sort of move from optimism to realism? Um, and is that at a point of life? I mean, do you want, don't you want all young people to be somehow optimistic? Uh, and when do you introduce reality and what does that look like? Yeah, Miller writes about that in this famous essay. I'm sure you know it, Kevin. Um, Tragedy and the Common Man. Yeah. Now I feel like I should know it. Uh, <laughs> but essentially yes. just like why... Willie Lowman, literally a low man, is fit for tragedy when the classical definition is someone is highborn or royal and all that. Um, but he talks about how the idea that in tragedy is that hope or optimism for the perfectibility of man, just like the idea that, and then why do we watch tragedy so much, right? So maybe we can learn from it or grow from it or improve ourselves in some small way or avoid the pitfalls of these these other people uh, i mean he he's barely in it but it reminds me of the character of ben mm. who's uh, we never really meet it's only in flashback it's only in this high fantasy when willie's in the backyard demanding to put things in the ground but it's his uh older brother mm -hmm. who uh, apparently goes into africa and comes out and he's by god he's rich and he meets the kids like twice. He's not at the funeral, so we don't know what happens to him. He, he might not exist for all we know. Right, exactly. Um, but unfortunately for Willie, it's everything he could possibly want, but also not. He got lucky. Like it, It's like someone who, well, I had the American dream because I won the lottery. Not really, not quite, because Willie really does work his ass off his whole life and dies tragically, and this guy wanders into the woods and comes out a billionaire. Yeah. It's such a weird thing for Miller to put in, and yet it's the story in a nutshell. Any, any coin flip could have changed their entire lives, um, and Willie doesn't get it. He has nothing planted in the ground. Right, and it goes back to the, the origin within the story itself of Dave Singleman, who's this salesman that Willie runs into when he's young who died on the road. Literally, like he's, he's pick up the phone in Eddie City and, and sell from his bed in his slippers, and Willie thinks that's the best, and he has a death of a funeral where people come from, you know, trains were filled, 
uh, people coming from miles and miles around to his funeral contrasted with Willie's at the end where it's just his family um, and Charlie. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, having taught this for many years and read it, and I just talked about the optimism of baked into tragedies, I'm going to admit, I just get sad. <laughs> I, I don't know that I see it. Now, what do you guys think? I mean, theoretically, I see it, hypothetically, but just emotionally, I'm so drained and feel so sad that it's it's hard for me to view that as optimistic. And I think part of that is because we don't know what happens next, right? I mean, with, right. with the family and what choices the kids make. Um, I don't know. I, I took that character, Ben, too. As it's actually a discouraging story more than anything, yeah. you know, uh, that that opportunity is more luck-based than it is hard work-based. And, and, you know, in America and in American literature, we want to prize the other, which is the reward of hard work. Um, and I thought, you know, there's even just in the sort of organic imagery there of a garden versus a jungle um, and how we take those things. And I, you know, part of what I guess... Uh, to come back to the question of optimism is, you know, a garden is a remarkably optimistic endeavor. Right. The last uh, thing Willie does is plant seeds that's and right. then gets in a car. Yep. And, and, well, he kills himself for the insurance money thinking that that's going to stake Biff and go forward. That's right. Um, so he so somehow he still believes. He is optimistic. That's right. right. He still yeah. has this belief that this is going to make a difference, that right. this is the noble and best thing to do. Um, you know, and again, just that the potential of the seed underground, I mean, his children are those, I think he wants to water them with the $70,000 or whatever it was that, uh, will come from it. So there is, you know, he believed it to the end. Uh, and I don't know if that makes me more sad or. Well, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the seeds just as far as he has no sunlight because mm -hmm. everything's built around him. So he's putting seeds in ground that it, it's never going to grow. You know, we'll never right. grow. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. So. Well, and, and they, they, they describe this, the city growing up around him. And, you know, when he started with his briefcase going to Boston or whatever, and he knew everyone, but he's now in a place where not only does he not know everyone, he knows his neighbor. That's it. The town has grown around him. And you get the feeling that if they move out, it'll be torn down and replaced with another, you know, they're, you know, probably one of the uh, outer boroughs, you know, just another Queens apartment building or yeah. something. And we should probably talk about the foil characters of... Yeah, both Happy and Biff as the sons, but also Charlie, Charlie. and Bernard that live next door. Yeah, seem to work hard mm -hmm. um, and are successful. Um, and then again, was reading some uh, criticism that they are charitable, like they are like Bernard is trying to help Biff. Uh, Charlie is helping, you know, literally giving money to um, Willie, and so that sort of idea of hard work combined with charity and concern for others. This, mm. this critic was saying that's the message Miller is implicitly saying is the secret of success, which I hadn't really thought of it that way before. But Well, I mean, if we should get into the sons and then compare them to Bernard because I think that's the strongest contrast here. So um, we have two, uh, Happy uh, and Biff. So Biff is... I mean, he's the superstar. He's the one who's popular in high, high school. school. Hero, yeah. uh, he's the, the football star. They, they play in, like, uh, what, Shea Stadium? They play in, uh, well, they, they go Ebbets down. Field. Ebbets Field. Field, yeah. excuse me. Um, and he is supposed to be, like, you know, his father's son. He's supposed to be the big man on campus, yada, yada, yada. He's going to go play in college. 
Um, he's he well failed. liked. Uh, he's well liked, which is important. He's well liked, um, but he fails math. And as a liberal arts teacher, I can understand hating math. <laughs> These things happen. These things happen. Um, and then Happy, the optimistic, is just the younger brother. He's two years younger, and he kind of is the gee whiz. He's everything that Hap, uh, that Biff wants to be in some ways. He's optimistic. He's still a ladies' man. He's still um, popular and charismatic. But he hasn't gone anywhere. He's, you know, the, you know, the kid who's he's the townie. He stays where he grew up and never makes much of himself. But at least he's happy. But he talks a good story, like his dad. He says he's the assistant manager. Really, he's the assistant to the assistant manager, um, and he sort of uh, ruins other women. It's like people are about to get married, he goes and dates them just to sort of like he has this ultra competitive streak. Uh, that's ultimately self-destructive. Yeah. So, um, contrasted with Bernard. Yeah. Talk about Bernard, Kevin. Bernard, uh, he's anemic. Uh, yes. and, uh, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it's interesting. He's liked, but not well liked. Exactly. He's liked, but not well liked. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, but seems to have the trappings of genuine success. I mean, so some of it, I think, is just this integrity of self just an understanding of kind of who you are and what you're about and being able to live into that and i think biff and happy book go in sort of other directions you know different directions with it sort of polar directions themselves with what they're seeking and, and who they want to be um and they're both kind of different parts of, of willie's own personality whereas bernard is sort of this sense of stability a sense of wholeness to him um and again maybe not the, the largest measures of success um but good measures of success and a care and concern for others, not just an interest in sort of making out for yourself and, and, and doing well. Um, you know, I think that in him, we see what, what a properly sort of directed young person can do and become kind of of their own will, of their own volition because of their own choice. Um, that Charlie's able to sort of both guide and stand back at the same time, that closeness a parent wants to have with the distance a parent should have. Um, I think that that allows Bernard to kind of become himself in that way and and get away from you know kind of being at home all the time like 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 Willie's boys are mm -hmm. um, and to go out and live a life um, sort of beyond that too and I think the interesting contrast too is what their dreams are because Biff and again I, I realize the irony of saying this when we have an alumni from the year before me just win the Super Bowl but the idea <laughs> of being a football superstar is a dream for very few Right. It's a very hard dream. Meanwhile, Bernard wants to be a lawyer. He puts his nose to the books. He becomes a lawyer and moves his way up. And at the end, there's an incredible scene where um, Willie goes to check in with Charlie just to because he's lost his job, but he doesn't want to admit it. He's lost his job. But where's Bernard going? He goes, hey, did you get that bottle of whiskey I gave you? Get your, don't forget your golf clubs. And he goes out the door. They're all very polite to each other. And he goes, ah, my son is going to defend a case before the Supreme Court. And Charlie, you know, is so proud. And uh, Willie goes, he didn't even mention it. He goes, he doesn't have to. He's doing it. And that's the big thing. Like you said, everyone talks a good game in the Loman household. But Bernard, he's just doing it. They just do it, right? They just yeah, do that's it. the contrast there, the action versus the talk. Um, and then yeah. maybe that's the difference between dream and reality in some more perfectly manifested way, that the dream is talking the talk. Um, but the reality comes down to actually doing it and living it. Right. And, you know, maybe that's where there's hope is there can be Bernards in the world. Um, and that 
that that's a real possibility too if as long as you're committed to not just talking about the dream but but living out the reality so let's i'm curious what you guys think so the talking about so given willie is clearly delusional at the end right yeah um but do you guys think he's delusional all along did he ever have any real success or he, this is just a lie that perpetuates itself because there's little cracks in it like he'll sort of say like i was out there and i couldn't sell and then linda and like like a good supportive spouse like boosts him up uh and then and then he flips into the sort of delusional mode again but what do you guys think do you think that he ever I mean, I don't know that it's a clear answer. I think Miller's pretty vague, but yeah. um, do you think he ever actually had success? Or this is just the, the culmination of a, a life of lies, a life of self-delusion? Well, see, for me, this is a, a reference for people our age, but none of our high school listeners. It's married with children and the winning touchdown. Because all Al Bundy wanted to talk about is that one winning touchdown. Because right. we get that scene where he's talking to Howard and he's like, you know, I used to bring in a hundred bucks a, mo- a week or whatever it was. And Howard goes, you never brought. He goes, no, there was one week where I brought in $108 a week. And that's it. And so for him, that wasn't the high watermark. That was his new average, even though that's not true mm-hmm. for a second. Right. So again, we all have good weeks and bad weeks. But for him, once it became a good week, it was all good week. Reality immediately leaves after that. And I think that's what's important. Okay. And I, uh, yeah, similarly, I mean, I think that the, his expectation for himself and his children is always that level of greatness that usually comes after a lot of preliminary stuff. So it's always only ever talking about that, the high mark, and he's never talking about sort of the average. So it's hard to get, I was going to go to that same passage uh, with Howard, you know, reminding him, you know, you never sold that much um, to say that my guess is it's probably just an accumulation of the lies he's telling himself and that, that he's told him so much that he's come to believe him, um, yeah. that he that he thinks that's really what happened, what he did. That, and and part of that is just I think wrapped up in his own sense of self worth that he doesn't feel like he's got the worth without those things. Um, and so, well, then he's never going to let someone take them from him, and he's going to have to hold on to those tightly to his death, which which unfortunately he does. This happens within a hundred pages, <laughs> but I mean, but you you have that as well because when you said at the beginning the death of a salesman, everyone caught up, everyone's going to miss him, and his son grabs him by the collar and says, "You're a dime a dozen, oh, and so am I." So and oh. he goes, "No, I'm Willie Loman. You're Bifflum." And he's wrong. <laughs> he's wrong in that the minute he needs to be uh, hear the message the most, he doesn't. He misses it completely. Yeah. And I'll challenge that a little bit. I think Please. he's both right and wrong. I think I think Biff telling him he's a diamond dozen in terms of being a salesman is true. But his taking that identity of this is who I am, I am Willie Loman, yeah. that's also true. And there there you know, again you have kind of this challenge, like you want him to be himself, but you realize that what he's what he's bought into isn't really himself. And so I think I want both things to be true there. I want him to realize that, yes, as a salesman, I may be a dime a dozen, but I'm still myself. Uh, yeah. There is this thing that I call me that, uh, you know, I want to live into my best version of um, over the course of my life. And you want him to defend himself there, but maybe to live a little differently after hearing it, too. Or right. to I mean, live. The upside is he's optimistic, right? And that's what it takes to be a salesman. You do a cold call, you got to hope that this next sale is going to be the one that, that makes me. So you, you admire his optimism in some ways, or at least I do. But, yeah, you want him to reckon with his reality. I mean, Biff says we never told the truth mm. uh, for 10 minutes in this house. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's the real truth. Yeah. Or Linda. Let's talk about Linda. 
<laughs> what do you think of Linda? What's her role in this? I, it feels like a certain amount of complicity with it, you know, that she sort of props him up and realizes this is what her husband's going through. You wonder in some ways if she couldn't have been the one to save him, not that that's her responsibility alone. Um, but if she had been kind of going through every moment of their life together with that sentiment that Biff shared, which is don't stake yourself on this. Don't put all of your sense of worth and being into this component of your life. There's all these other things that you need to be focusing on too that matter, that mean something. Um, I mean, of course, the struggle, you know, is that Willie's unfaithful to her. Right. And, uh, and, you know, there's some recognition, too, that she buys into the image or the dream that he had of their life um, with kind of going along despite some recognition, potential recognition of that. And then that scene, too, at the very beginning when, when I think it's Biff and, and Linda are first speaking and uh, and... He says, you know, what'd you do to your hair? And she said, well, I stopped coloring it. It went gray a long time ago. And he said, start coloring it again, Mom. Um, but even in that subtle reference there about sort of keeping the image up through something really simple, like the dyeing of one's hair tells me that, that there's a uh, kind of a buy-in to the lying from her there. Yeah, yeah. she said, oh, you're such a boy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the, yeah, there's the painful... Um, symbolism of the stockings. Mm -hmm. So throughout mm -hmm. the play, Linda's at the kitchen table, the hearth, um, you know, mending her stockings. And stockings are what Willie gives his mistress, brand new stockings, or as his wife is at home, mending the old ones to save a few pennies. Um, yeah, very sad. Yeah. I mean, we, we, should, we can try to walk through the plot. It's a very complicated play, like you mentioned, because there's flashbacks. Within flashbacks... Um, but we literally s open with a smash cut as he's crashed the car again. Can't stay on the road. Right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, he says it's because he's tired. Um, but his wife immediately covers for him. It's a very kind of codependent relationship. Um, and, you know, it's a Studebaker. And he goes, but, oh, the Studebakers are great cars. And then within it, he goes, ah, oh, it's an expensive piece of crap. Um, and we already get this feeling that he's out of date. They don't say it. Um, but she has the line that, oh, she doesn't think Angelo knows how to work on Studebakers, as though he's the, no one left knows how to work on this car anymore. Um, but turns out the two sons are home visiting. Um, happy, because he just kind of lives out of the... <laughs> oh, we never know what Willie... I mean, the kids always ask, what's he sell? What's he sell? Yeah. We never know. And that's never the know. Whole point. That's, you know, he's selling himself, is mm -hmm. what Miller said. Yeah. So depressing. Um... Meanwhile, uh, Biff has come home uh, from west, from out west. We don't know really why yet. We'll find it all out. Um, but it's the first time the, all four of them have been under the house since the Troubles, um, which we'll get into eventually. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, so Willie is not selling. And just, again, I was looking at some research, and one of the conventions or one of the speaking engagements Miller went to, uh, someone came up to him afterwards and he said this is one of the best compliments I ever got about the play and the guy said that New England territory was never worth a damn anyway <laughs> he doesn't know what he's selling or anything but just like New England's apparently very tough to be a salesman so um, I thought that was interesting um, yeah so I don't know what do we want to give away as far as plot or I mean we, we can talk it's yeah, Biff comes back family is awkwardly tense but you're not quite sure why and Willie is losing it I think everyone recognizes that and how do you confront that yeah and Willie's relationship with Biff is like he was the 
hero. He's going to go on and do big things. Willie was going to live vicariously through that and, and through that reputation as he did when Biff was in high school and they're trying to figure out why Biff is sort of stagnant. I will say, um, when I first started teaching, I was teaching in 2007, 2008, you know, very peaceful time in American economy. Um, but I, I taught a little bit of this because we're getting to the 50s. It's a good way to introduce the idea of this man in the gray flannel suit. The world is moving past them. They're becoming more and more anonymous cogs in a machine that they don't understand. Um, and the way we related it was like a real estate agent. You're trying to sell and you got you sold the big house the one time and now you're having a harder time, harder time, harder time. Um, and in that way, a play that's, what, 73 years old <laughs> oh, wow. still yeah. feels fairly prescient. Um, and, you know, the idea, I mean, when Willie's kind of giving us the background of the play, when he's arguing with Linda a little bit, he goes, how can you be 34 years old and still finding yourself? Hmm. That's millennials in a nutshell, <laughs> right? <laughs> True, yeah. Um, and they're just, I mean, we eventually here get to Charlie, but... The boys are just, again, they've put on the old facade. It's like everyone's home, like not for Christmas or something, but you know what I mean? Like it's everyone's home for the first time. So they're being super polite. They're being very friendly dad, smack him on the back. It's great to see you. Um, you know, even Biff, who's kind of the black sheep of the family at this point, is, you know, hugging mom, happy to be there, talking to happy. It's, but you know it can't last. Because even there, he starts to contradict himself and the fantasy starts to break. And it happens even more later that night when Charlie comes over to play cards. Right. Yeah. And then Biff himself is his father's son, right? Because there'll be moments of truth and either Happy or Willie will, will spin it like, okay, well, you're going to go get that job back um, and you're going to sell yourself and Happy and you're going to go into sporting good business. And, and, um, and then the family starts to go along with the delusion. Um, so, yeah, there's that moment of truth and then just the deep denial and... Diversion, yeah. I wondered about that with uh, with Biff after he's doing the interview and he steals the pen off the table, which oh, is yeah. just a great moment. Uh, and he talks about, I think, running down the stairs afterwards and wondering, what am I doing? You know, what what is this about? You know, like I've got a I've got this shot here to get a job. It's not a bad job. It's in sporting good. Seems like a natural fit for you know a former athlete and. Uh, and and what he does is he swipes a pen off the table and you wonder about the pen just as you know a possible symbol of something something creative something generative something that brings life to words and storytelling uh but he takes it and there's that moment when he looks up and he he sees the sky i think is how mm -hmm. he describes it and you wonder there your hope there my hope there as i read it was this is the moment of awakening this is the moment of recognition and realization you know this is the rock bottom moment of somebody who's sort of so polluted in their own lies that they're able to to see clearly how to come up from that um and and get above it but doesn't he sort seem, of does he right? sort of does right. yeah. he goes home and that leads to the big confrontation with willie and the quote we talked about before you're a dime a dozen um but yeah, we don't know what, what would happen after that. Next. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We do know that Happy at, at the gravesite says, I'm, I'm going on. I'm going to win it for, for the Loman family. But yeah, we don't know what Biff would do, what, what comes of that epiphany. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> no, it's, and, and like, well, we should get into Bill Oliver because mm -hmm. he's this, again, he's like a, almost an object of fantasy, like you mentioned. I mean, he goes to the interview, but he's like, oh, he'll remember me. 
This is Why? Will Oliver. Yeah. yeah. You know, Bill Oliver's perhaps. Bill, Biff. He's the one Biff, who, yeah. he's, he's trying to get a loan yeah. to start a, a farm, a ranch, uh, the Lohman Brothers Ranch. Mm-hmm. Um, not Lehman Brothers, Lohman No, the Lyman Sporting Goods, right? Yeah. That's what they're going to do. Yeah. It's, it is. It's oh. just failed dream after failed dream. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is there any scenes you want to talk about in particular? Because, like, again, eventually we will be talking as long as you could have just read the play. Um, but we should talk about the big game and then how that leads into his downfall, right? Um, they're playing the championship game, right, at Ebbets Field. And, you know, Happy wants to carry in his shoulder pads and Charlie wants to carry in his helmet so that they can be on the field with him. And, you know, it's a very familial scene. And, uh, you know, Charlie's being the jerk. He's like, oh, what, what, what's happening? Is there a baseball <laughs> game or something? He goes, no, you jerk. My son is in the championship. Um, but that's the same day, apparently, he fails his test. Um, and, you know, Bernard said, I was going to try to let him cheat, but the math teacher was on him the whole time. But don't worry, he can make it up this summer, and he'll still be able to graduate, and he'll still be able to go. Which then smashes cut to the present, where he's like, "Why? whatever happened to him, Bernard? Yeah, that's the day he gave up. <laughs> that's the day he Bernard's gave up. Said, yeah, because mm-hmm. um, he goes to visit his father on the road to tell him about this. Um and he tells a story, like he tells a story that he made fun of the teacher and everyone laughed and Willie loves it because he's liked, he's well-liked, everyone likes him. Um, and he stays just a moment too long and runs into the mistress there. And that, that Willie's desire to hear the story of his son being well-liked just leads to his downfall, yeah. um, which was heartbreaking, yeah. Well, and in a very complicated, confusing way, it's also lined up with happy turning into his father right because they picked up some women off the street they're going out to a steak dinner they ignore the father effectively to celebrate his job that they didn't get <laughs> that no one got um and the father is literally left muttering in a bathroom in the toilet yeah. yeah um and it's in some ways more embarrassing or whatever but everyone knows him there it's the one place where people know him the waiter's like mr loman are you okay <laughs> Um, but he's, but like, this is the part where it's really confusing just to read if you're not watching a play version because they show up to dinner and as the women show up, they flash back to that scene where Willie's in the hotel room with his mistress and Biff shows up and he figures out what's going on. And this is where the whole world collapses around Biff because Biff believes his father is untouchable and is an incredible man he realizes he's not all at once and he goes the math teacher won't listen to you yeah you don't matter and and just again to happy being his father's son he's like given this line about how he's a football player professional football player he's just feeding whatever lines are going to get the girls to pay attention to him and they, they leave with the women um because that's his definition of success like he gets the women he's competitive that way with other men so, yeah um and the the use of the the laughter as the cut, the laughter of the girls walking in to the laughter of the mistress, I thought was just master subtly but masterfully done. Um, and it's interesting, you know, whenever you're reading a tragedy, it's good to note where there's laughter in it, um, and to see that it's just so sort of discordant. Um, this sort of sole moment of laughter in the play is actually this moment of greatest loss, and um, and it's where the real loss sort of sets in for the whole family and. I don't know. I wondered about the, the proximity of those things in one's life. You know, these great moments of success with these with these moments of 
of great sadness um, too and, and how that might kind of help us to understand a bit more what we actually can and should do as the readers of a play like this to to learn from it and how can we make sense of those things in our own life and if you think of the story of your life it's not hard to find some examples of those things and um, well how do we find sort of a balance in ourselves to respond to each appropriately and not let one or the other take too great a hold on us um, as we as we move forward from them um, I'm curious because as I read it and teach it I've over the years shown the Dustin Hoffman version so much it's hard for me not to see them in my mind's eye as I read but I don't think I've ever seen it live like in a, in a real theater have you guys seen it live Okay. I haven't. I, I've seen it once, but it was like a local, you know, uh, well, regional theater. Okay. Uh, and it's good. And it's it's hard to get the sets to flow. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but the way they do it when I've seen it is with lighting, right? Because you have a restaurant scene and it's very kind of, you know, Italian restaurant kind of dim blue. And then the woman is usually a scene kind of with a red spotlight. And as her scene takes over, their table scoots to the side and the red takes over the whole right so different mm. lights cueing you to present mm -hmm. or past or exactly right. um which is kind of what you have to do um at least and again i'm not don't take my advice on state i'm there's a different <laughs> department for that here and they do a fine job yeah originally miller the working title of it was inside his head it was supposed to be a oh, big skull essentially with the rooms as different parts of willie's head uh -huh. um which, being yeah, john malkovic yeah, uh, just step off. Like yeah, yeah, very much like that. Um, well, it's so. interesting because even the way the set is first described, that makes a lot of sense because they talk about the house and how everything's transparent, right? And it's all sort of this one-dimensional thing, so you can see sort of the crowding in of the world around them. Um, and then the way the lighting starts out is, you know, kind of on the kitchen in there, but the upstairs rooms are sort of more shadowed than each kind of gets attention um, sort of from there. But uh, I hadn't thought of it that way, but you can picture it completely. Yeah, nice. it, it makes sense once, once yeah. you read that and think about that. Um, and then the flute music, Will mm. Miller's very explicit in the stage directions about the flute music as, as a cue to Willie's sort of drifting into reverie or, or delusion or whatever that is. Well, um, yeah. I wish I had done this. That, that I had a friend that when Philip Seymour Hoffman was playing Willie Loman on Broadway... Like he went up to see it and said it was just unbelievable and amazing. And I didn't. And, you know, he's no longer with us, of course. But I would have loved to see him do it. And I looked at I was trying to find clips online. You can't find anything. anything. So they were really tight about, you know, yeah. controlling that, which is good for them. But, um, yeah. And I guess Lee J. Cobb was the person that originated the role on Broadway, uh -huh. which I'm sure he would be amazing as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But I've never seen it in person. Well, since we're plugging things, if you have not seen the original 1969 movie, Salesman. Oh, I was going to mention that today, yeah. It's, it's incredible. It's a bunch of Bible salesmen going door to door trying to sell. Right. Um, and, it's, and they're working in a fairly poor area, so it's just a lot of doors slamming in their faces. And mm. it's black and white, and it's incredible if you've yeah. not seen it. And um, I didn't realize, because um, I, when I was first teaching this here at Marist, I knew of that film, and I had Marist order it. So I think we have it here. Uh, just to give a sense to these to the kids, like this is what they're talking about. This is Willie, like trying to make sales here. 
but it's an, it's an amazing film. But those are the uh, directors did also um, Gimme Shelter, mm-hmm. The Rolling oh, yeah. Stones, yeah, and yeah. Grey Gardens. So I didn't realize that was <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, the Maisels. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, this was right after In Cold Blood came out. And they're like, well, we'll do a nonfiction <laughs> feature film, like, a, like not a documentary, but like a movie. It's just crushing going like to New England, Florida, selling these Bibles door to door. Yeah. And and again, let you know what kind of straits he was in. If, you know, that was 20 years, set 20 years later and they're still trying it. It's seems like it's slipping to hands, uh, sand slipping through your fingers. Right. Um, so we should talk about the second day. They all go to sleep and it seems like things are going to go great. Um, because no one's read the title of the play. <laughs> and then well, it's the... just death of a salesman. You don't know which salesman, That's right? True. <laughs> Maybe he goes crazy. It takes out the whole office. Um, but in the morning, there's essentially a handful of business meetings, right? Howard is going to fire uh, Willie, and you know Charlie's going to offer him a job. Um, and there's the waiting for Bill Oliver, who never shows up. Right. Or doesn't um, remember them. Doesn't remember them at all. Yeah. Because essentially, that's the easiest one to tell. Biff shows up in the morning, you know, says hi to the secretary and says, I want to speak uh, to Mr. Oliver. And he waits, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits. And finally sees him at the end of the day, uh, not exchanging a word. And Oliver looks over, and there's clearly no look of recognition in his Hmm. eyes. So he does the only thing he can think of, which is to go into the office and steal a pen, you know, a nice fountain pen from his desk. Um, Which... Without listening, because no one listens to each other in this family, <laughs> Willie assumes it's a huge success, uh, and that you're, you're going to be a manager. You're going to you're going to get the loan you need. You're going to be a big guy. He goes, Dad, just listen, please, just once listen to me. Um, but the two most depressing ones are the Howard and the Charlie speeches. Yeah, well, there's the Linda speech too, which I wanted to to talk about, where she talks about um, he's not a oh. what's the famous quote. Got it here. He's not the finest character that ever lived, but he's a human being, and a terrible thing is happening to him. Attention must be paid, and so the idea of a a low man as worthy of tragedy, and that's that sticks in my throat every time I read that one. And I think is the next sentence something like attention must be paid to such a man, is yeah. it something like that? And it's that such a man because then you find yourself at some point. I thought she said that. Maybe I'm making it up. No, it's uh, that. Uh, that we should define that. Well, what is such a man? And, and who is deserving of attention? Um, and what kind of attention does someone... Such a person. Such a person, yeah. that's right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's good, too. It even broadens it um, so that we really all are invited into that scrutiny. Um, so what is what is the kind of such a person that she's talking about? And, and who does need our attention? And how might we give it to them? Well, and funny enough, like, she's an interesting character. Because I wouldn't she say she's... You know, we've done a few books on here where the author clearly doesn't know how to write women, and it's very... But she has a lot of agency. I mean, there's a lot of energy there when she puts the rubber hose down, your father's trying to kill himself. And... No, Biff does that. Well, no, but she alludes to it earlier. Right. Biff is yeah, the one who, who says, Willie, we yeah. know. Confront him about it. Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. She finds it behind the radiator. Right. Yeah. yeah. He's they siphoning gas. Game. Yeah, yep. she pulls it off. He puts it back on. Yeah. And it's just... That that's your father's trying to kill himself is a very <laughs> strong thing to say, um, which means nothing to them because the next day they stiff him at dinner, which is what she calls him out on. And the next time she shows up, uh, it's it, it, it's she's just such an interesting character because on one hand you want her to stand up and say you've got to 
do something else. This job is not for you. But she's infinitely supportive of a man who doesn't know anything else. I don't know what other decisions she could have made in some ways. Um, and again, this is the guy who wrote The Crucible. Like He can write strong women characters. It's just, I never know how to deal with Linda in this play. Because so much of it is about the role of masculinity and, you know... Charlie and Willie and Biff and Happy and Bernard, they all have this different interpretations of what is in post-war America, a very masculine world. And the women should be in the home and yada, yada, yada. Well, all this is falling apart around them and they don't know necessarily how to place themselves. I think it's interesting. Yeah, when you taught, how did you teach Linda, Kevin? Or what did you, you remember? Yeah, I think, well, we did character studies of kind of everybody and um and i you know one of the i guess challenges with linda you know she's at she's present for these horrible moments um but she doesn't necessarily bring redemption to them either and i i think she does a better job with the kids than with the with willie in that regard i think she is much more she she serves that mother role better than maybe the spouse role, but I think she doesn't know how to deal with it. I mean, she's sort of in an impossible situation. She doesn't want to be the one to burst the dream bubble in Willie's mind because I think she sees that that's fraught with danger for him in a very literal way. She's aware of that and acutely aware of it, and she's just trying to get him through to where he can see the other side, um, but she gets stuck there with him, I think. And so my primary description that we would look at her for is like, well, what does it mean to be stuck in a situation and how can you find your way out of it? Or can you offer something to find your way out of it? And she never really seems to. She tries to offer these different paths, but never really seems to find a way to help Willie in the way that he needs. I don't know what would have helped Willie necessarily. But Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. there's no easy answer with Willie for sure. But And in that way, you can't. it's not her fault, right? I mean, that's not ultimately her responsibility. Um, it's not anyone's necessarily responsibility, but how do we look out for each other, I think, is a central question, as we said, especially with the uh, Charlie and Bernard, too. Um, so who, how can we look out for you know those we love the most? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and the problem is, it, you know, you can always ask questions like, where's God in this story? But for me, it's who has choices to make? It seems like the one that has the most options in the story is Willie and he never wants to choose the wrong option. You know what I mean? Like and, and, and throughout the whole play, we, the earliest cut is we need to get you off the road. You need to stop driving around. We care about you. And every time an option that would help his family or something seems to come up, he takes the wrong way, still thinking it's going to help his family. And that's why he's a tragic figure. He's the ultimate American tragic hero. That's yeah, he's, he's driven by this singular vision, and any vision that's in competition with it, you know, he rejects out of hand, and yeah. he just doesn't see it as having the same, you know, uh, potency, I guess. Yeah, he likes, I always use the example, so when the neighborhood is building up around them, uh, the boys go and borrow or steal lumber from neighbor's house, and Willie's really good with his hands, and so that comes up later at the play, like he built the stoop. Mm. on their house so literally like the foundation is built with stolen goods yeah. or built with mm. built on this sort of uh lie that you know biff was known for stealing sporting goods stuff yeah. in high school but he called it initiative and so it's an interesting layer to that well into what you were saying like there's even this idea that 
Oh man, it just left me. Hi, I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> Welcome to our podcast. That's right. <laughs> I'm completely. Did you go to a happy place in your past? That's yeah. right. <laughs> no, I mean, we, we, when we're talking about, oh, I know what I was going to say. When he meets up with Charlie, is the most tragic scene because he's borrowing a hundred bucks a week just to get by. I just need, you know, thirty-eight bucks for my insurance. You know, a hundred bucks should do it. He goes, just take a job. I'll pay you for the job. And he goes, no, I can't take a job from you. He can take the money because it's still part of his plan because he could pay him back. But once he takes that job, that's the tragic part. I mean, cause because when ha- in his mind, he believes he's better than him, right? Yeah, he, he 100% does. Yeah. And Howard, he's like, aren't you supposed to be in Boston? Why aren't you in Boston? Did you get sick on the road? or Again. What? Again. again, yeah. yeah. And he lets him go and he just you says, look, up. I need the office. Take five minutes to yourself. I need the office. That's... That's it. He's he is dispensable. He's thrown the fr- the peel away, right? He's eaten out his essence. But that's the cold, you know, logic of business, right? Yeah. If you're not if you're not bringing in the numbers, then you know it's it's black and white. And we, we'll find somebody else. Careful. We'll have to call you before a committee oh, or something. I know. <laughs> so is this <laughs> is this in that way more a commentary on you know the system that produced such a person, or is it on the person itself? I mean, how right. much? Yeah, do we go? Is this a Willie problem versus a systemic problem in the way businesses run and the way operations go, and and how it it dehumanizes uh, a person? Yeah, no, but I think to the example you shared before of your father, right? So mm-hmm. there's a way to sort of pivot or reinvent or find a new way, so you don't have to get stuck in one way of thinking of things, stuck in this narrow vision of success. I think because that's partly what. Willie is teaching us not to do. Yeah, um, he had the wrong dreams. Um, that there, you need to adjust and adapt because change is coming. I mean, that's that's that's, that's so hard for Willie. Yeah. Well, and I mean, to wit, Biff seems successful out west. He likes using his hands. He likes being out in nature. But that's not success to his father. Right. And there's something tragic about that. Like that, he likes to do that. He likes to be out west and. Just something about keep calling him back to this sad house, um, and I, I I don't know. It, it's kind of tragic in that way. Yeah, it is, and I think that's that's one lesson, particularly here at Marist, where you know there there is often a narrow view of success or what you're supposed to do for students, but I don't know if that lands. To be honest, um, maybe they're just too young or too. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, you're a student here, Nick. I mean, what what do you think? I mean, you took. You didn't take a business route to, to your success, but did you feel that pressure? I, I mean, at the time when I was graduating here, the big up-and-coming thing was to be a computer science person mm-hmm. because everything was computer science. I mean, when I was in middle schools, when Google came out and like you would have these profiles of people like Sergey Brin, who's just an Eastern European immigrant guy who got good at programming and figured it out. Um, and of course, Facebook started my first year of college. Miami of Ohio was one of the first 12 schools on it. So I've been on it for since the beginning. Right. Um, but I think the line, he had all the wrong dreams, is important because what he ignores is his own happiness. One of the things that you know is nice about teaching is I can see myself doing it for a very long time. There's no, there's no end goal for Willie, other than to be well-liked and to be successful. Even the guy he talks about idealizing died working. 
right? He he's he died in his green satin sandals and uh, slippers, slippers and his yeah. robe, but he died selling to the last minute. In slippers and a robe, it's not a bad way to go. Though, no, right? I mean, <laughs> no problem here. I just hope I'm not at a lectern when it happens. Like Zoom teaching, right? I was in the <laughs> it didn't feel like success, though. Also. No, it did not. I'm glad we're back in person. Amen. But, yeah, but I mean, that's part of it, too. Um, and maybe that's why we don't know what happy is really up to because he doesn't have an answer at least he found the thing that makes him happy which is being this lothario type <laughs> but like his mom is embarrassed about him but the mom is embarrassed about him she right, brings that yeah. up right away yeah you go back. yeah um, some awkward thanksgivings at the loman house i think <laughs> so but i do think you know how you know how you define success matters and how open that you know, kind of definition is, especially over time as things change. And, you know, one of the, the you know, a message I try to send to Marist families and, and students in particular is that, you know, if you, if you compare yourself only to sort of that standard of cosmic greatness, um, you're going to feel much like a salesman, you know, the door getting slammed in your face a whole lot. Um, but if you compare yourself only to your own best efforts, that is whatever which is within you in each of those areas you have gifts and graces you know that's where there can be a certain amount of contentment a certain amount of recognition of you know this is a thing i'm good at this is a thing i like to do how can we find that intersection and to me you know how i think we do that best and or we should do it best at least is thinking of it all as a discernment process you know how can we find that which we're called to do and how can we live a life consistent with that um, and I, you know, to Nick's sort of joking point earlier, where's God in this play? Well, I don't know that there's a lot of grounding in that, just this recognition of a thing larger than something bigger than myself. Um, it's very much wrapped up, I think, in, in myself and how I view my life as going rather than how I might be, be being called to live out my life. Um, not to say that that's, you know, an intentional message that Miller was including or not including in the play, but I think when we can look at it in the context of our school, that's something that gives me hope anyways, is we can reframe the conversation. We can put a bigger um, kind of parameter around it other than just what are you going to do when you grow up? Mm -hmm. um, the bigger, the more important question is who are you going to be when you grow up? Um, who do you want to be when you grow up? How would you describe that kind of person that you would grow into? Um, and what are the lessons that you need to, hope to learn here um, to get to that point? Yeah. And we just survived final exams and are starting a new term, as we alluded to earlier. But, you know, there's that whole kids comparing how much they sleep because they're working themselves crazy that mm -hmm. you uh, sympathize with because these kids work very, very hard a lot of the time. Um, there was... Um, Relatedly, this was years ago now, maybe six, seven years ago, that Princeton did a study uh, called, um, it, well, it was an article about it called The Myth of Effortless Perfection. Um, and it looked specifically at kind of first-year college students at very competitive schools, in this case Princeton in particular, that, um, you know, what is the real cost to a young person who's going through this? And they found, you know, obviously social media didn't exist uh, in the time of this play, um, but... You know, now there's this added component of, you know, creating that false image, you know, that bad stoop, that stoop of lies starts online. Um, and so how can we help 
young people navigate that um, and sort of see this potential where you're only putting out the glossy, smiling pictures of yourself, this pictures of yourself doing great things, catching the pass, whatever it is, um, rather than getting into the reality of it, which might show some of the struggles that come along with it, um, the rejection that comes along with it on occasion too, and learning from that and growing from that as well. Absolutely. Um, we've, we've gone almost an hour, so I think we should wrap this play up. Um, but at the end, you know, we have that, you know, you're a dime a dozen and it's the whole house blows up and we have finally some sort of catharsis. Um, you know, Biff is holding his father and they says, he goes, look, if you want me gone in the morning, I'm gone. Just know that we want you around. And he walks off and Linda and Happy are trying to express that, no, he does love you. We, he wants us to be a family. Um, and by that point, Willie's already gone, effectively. You know, this is when Ben returns. And, you know, Linda's like, come to bed, Willie. We'll talk in the morning. And he starts, like, kind of fading out. He goes, sure, sure, I'll be back. And Ben comes in. He goes, the jungle is dark and full of diamonds. And then comes back. It's not like an appointment at all. A diamond is rough and hard to the touch. And then, um, you know, and then he gets the last line. It's dark in there, but full of diamonds. This idea that in the end... His sacrifice, is, it could, you know, he could strike gold. Um, it's so sad. Um, but Willie, again, had all the wrong dreams. He misinterpreted what Biff said completely. And he's like, that kid's going places. I'm going to make sure he gets there with this money. Um, so he gets in the car one last time and drives, drives out of the play. Right. Yeah. Um, Whereas, yeah, and the irony, which we didn't really talk about, but the insurance company is on to Willie, like he's crashed the car before. And so they're not going to get any insurance money. And again, he's just gonna, it's a futile act. Yeah. Um, which makes it all the more sad. Yeah. Then we get one of the best epilogues in a play, uh, the funeral. Uh, no one does blame this man. Right. Yeah. Charlie says that line. Um, yeah, you mentioned it before. He's a man way out there on, in the blue, riding on a smile and a shoe shine. When they start not smiling back, that's an earthquake. Then you get yourself a couple of spots on your hat, and you're finished. Nobody dost blame this man. A salesman's got to dream. Comes with the territory. Um, and Charlie, get, and he goes, Biff. Charlie didn't. The man didn't know who he was because no one showed up. That's Linda's surprise. No one's. Um, Gatsby-esque. No one yes. Yeah, very Gatsby-esque. Exactly. Um, and then Linda says. <laughs> The, her last line, she gets the last line of the plane. It's the saddest thing on the planet, which they finally paid off the house. Great. Um, again, he had no, there, there, Willie does not have a plan for retirement. And it's kind of capitalized here. They finally pay off the house. He's dead. So that's cheerful. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a time when we're supposed to cry? <laughs> <laughs> Just need to play like a violin. <laughs> Yeah, Any it, flute music we can cut in here to. I should okay. We'll do some flute. We'll, yeah. we'll add some flute. some flute. Yeah. Um, Bumper music. Yeah. So we don't teach this in the department anymore. No. Should we pick it back up? I say no. I mean, I, I see the value, and it's a beautiful play, but I just don't think it was landing with this generation of students anymore. Uh, I think there's more accessible stuff. You can get the same ideas and lessons across. You're not in your head, Kevin. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, again, I, when I taught, your daughter's it, it was a tenth more, grader, right? She is. Yeah, yeah. Would she like this play? Um, that's a good question. 
Well, I mean, I would Make get to talk with her at home. Exactly. I was like, we can do a little experiment here, can't we? Um, but I don't know that many of my classmates necessarily liked it, even when I was reading it, yeah. you know, in high school. And as a teacher, I found I had to work really hard to get them to like it. Um, but ultimately, I mean, I, I can't say that they liked it, but I could, can say that they were heartbroken by it. Um, mm, yeah. And I think that comes across. I mean, I think just the... If if you you know just write it out as a sort of strict narrative from beginning to end, you know in kind of historical linear order, um, they see just what a broken person this is that's been presented to them, and what a um, you know what the appropriate response is that comes with that. So I feel like they got the sadness of it, um, but in terms of some of the the larger sort of questions, it's it's hard for 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 young people, but not impossible. I mean, we challenge kids with all sorts of yeah. It books reminds me of the Scarlet Letter, like. I yeah. hated it as a high schooler, but then when I read it as an adult, I'm like, oh, yeah. this, isn't, this isn't so bad. This is really good, actually. Really good. So I think they might have that experience, but you need a first experience with it. Um, so maybe the film? I mean, the film with Hoffman yeah. is excellent. The so, film helped, yeah. yeah. that I mean, because we would... I wouldn't show all of it, but I'd show a few of the scenes, um, you know, especially like the, the dinner scene where you're kind of going in and out and you have to get the timeline right um you know just breaking that down a little bit more helped a lot i think um and seeing the you know i mean when john malkovich is just crying and all i mean you could just see like just, oh, yeah. just slobbering stuff coming off right. of his face yeah. and, that nice little move where he kisses his father's cheek yep. yeah 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 you it's, can see uh, willie's face just change yeah yep yeah. um really comes across well i think so yeah I mean, what do you I, think, Nick? I, I think it would work best in a class like ours just because we give a lot of the cultural context in chronological order. We'll talk about the heroism of the previous era to an era where people do feel a lot of abandonment. Um, but I, unfortunately, I think I agree with you. It's really hard to get into. Um, I will say it would make a really interesting um, you know, January series for the parents to teach. That's true, yeah. Um, we, we do a thing here where... For three Mondays, we kind of have these two-hour classes where we can teach stuff, and I've done versions of my dissertation, and you've done some, well, a lot of things, actually. The Camino, oh, you've done Letter, yeah. Gatsby. and um, Yeah, we can do a series on books you hated in high school. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and this is just one of those Required ones. Required reading, like yeah. with an exasperation, a little emoji or something, yeah. Yeah, but as an adult, you come back to it, and I think it hits a little bit better. Yeah, I think it's an amazing work, but I just don't know that it lands as it should i think there's a better use of your time in the classroom so yeah. should it be acquired yes but maybe not in <laughs> high school <laughs> yeah i'd say that's fair yeah yeah dear alumni you have homework um, <laughs> yeah well um thanks for coming out uh, hopefully you'll come again a pleasure yes Please, thank yeah. you this was this was a, a joy i mean i love talking books and uh and this one in particular just seemed like i saw the list and thought yeah i've got yeah, something to say about it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well and we need to um keep bringing these back because unfortunately sometimes we have to clear them off the reading list and you never know who's going to pick it up just because we talked about it and that's mm. kind of the nice thing yeah um so as you're listening to this now our next episode is going to be part two of the fellowship of the rings we've finally been able to get a very busy long journey yeah it's... very uh, busy robert von hagen My back precious. on my show. <laughs> <laughs> uh but in the meantime uh, thank you kevin thank you mike and please wherever you get us you know, rate us, review us, share us, because we've been exploding on the charts, and it really is all because of you. I've done nothing to promote myself, uh, so we appreciate all the stuff that you do. Um, and thanks, guys. Thank you. Many thanks. And we're out.
Yeah.